it's this, my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. All right. Now today, chapter 7, did you notice how it says, after this? Well, you can't read after this and not wonder after what. And so this gives me such an okay to review a little bit. After what? And, and that's after what happened last week. After, after the feeding of the 5,000, after the walking on the water, and then, and then after the teaching that Jesus started because the people were grumbling and he just is trying to get across to them that he is the bread of life and to don't put all your eggs in one basket all about materialism and trying to, to um, have all the accolades be about you and because, you know, he's speaking to those Jewish leaders and they are pompous, they are... They are, yes, they're very, they're very religious, but he knows that they are missing the real. And so he really gets down and, and really, and he, it will continue and spill over to today, but he, he is teaching. In fact, when he was talking about the bread of life, he, he then went into a depth of teaching that because they didn't want to ask questions about what he meant, it was much easier to say, it's too hard, I can't accept it, I won't accept it, because he said, you have to eat of my body, you have to drink my blood, and then whoever, again, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Last week, six times he said he came from heaven. Six times you repeated that fact because so many of the people are still so one-sided and, and, and this is where they wanted to stay. They, they didn't have to stay there, but they chose to. Well, he's just Joseph and Mary's kid. But he said six times that he was from heaven, but they didn't, they, all, they, all they thought of that is he doesn't know what he's talking about because they didn't. They didn't ask, and I hope you're catching on to this. Remember when I said that Jesus will do whatever it takes to get our attention, but then he expects us to, he knows we're not going to know everything about him right away, but he, he says, at least I want you to ask. I want you to take the time to get to know. I want to see how you desire and how earnest you are because I demand a response from you. I mean, those are the three principles he gets our attention. He expects us to want to know more because he demands a response from us. And if you don't want to ask questions and if you don't want to know, then you're going to have the kind of ugly attitude and the ugly character and the crabbiness and that countenance that no one wants to even be by. I mean, that's how serious this is. Because these religious Jewish leaders were, were just, I mean, people were scared of them. They were, they, they were untouchable. They, they weren't approachable. They carried themselves in such a way. I mean, is that the way you really want to be? When you, when, when, what is Jesus? What is Jesus? He's saying, come, come. <laughs> and those Pharisees, those religious are saying, oh, don't get too close. And, you know, they're about as phony as a $3 bill. And Jesus knows it too. But he knows that there's a lot of people sitting in our churches today. And so he is making this so clear. And so he said, I'm going to see who really wants to know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, and you have to eat my body, you have to eat my flesh, and you have to drink my blood. Let's see if anybody really wants to get to the bottom of that one. Because that one is a tough one. Now, we understand it. Why? Because we are continually being taught that it wasn't for that broken body and that bloodshed. We get it, and we want to constantly be reminded of that. And when we celebrate that communion, I'm telling you, that is the best meal you and I could ever eat. And I know it's just a little, little taste, but it is the best meal we could ever eat. What a blessed food that is. So then, then you know, they start leaving, and 
Jesus confronts them. I'm telling you, when he said, when he said to, oh, does this offend you? You know, he wanted to, okay, let's see if you'll ask me then. Why don't you come right out and be honest, say you don't understand this. But instead, he goes on because they could care less and he, he knows and sees their heart. He makes this question statement. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? And the reason why that is a question statement is you better, you better think about this. Where what is going to happen to you when the Son of Man does come back and you are not going to you're not going to be able to be there. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. And they didn't want to know any more of that. He tried to use, think about this. What if you see the Son of Man descend to where he was before? In other words, you're going to, and then what's going to happen then? It's going to be too late. Because he knew way from the beginning, he knew from the beginning who was going to accept him. He even knew the one who was going to betray him. And I still say, why would he even pick Judas then if he knew that Judas was going to betray him? Because I think it is the greatest visual in the world to say, to show that you can, you can be with Jesus, you can learn, because Judas was for three solid years, just like the other 11. And he made a choice to say, no thanks. No thanks, I don't need this. And Jesus is saying, just like he said, whoever believes will have eternal life, but whoever doesn't will experience the wrath of God. He made it so clear. And by, by seeing Judas here, you see, I mean, and look how, how good he faked it. No one knew. No one knew until it actually happened. That's how good we can act it. But Jesus can see, I think last week, this week, he's going after saying, would you take a look at your heart to make sure? And so that's why after this, after all of this, after Peter made that statement, when Jesus said to the 12, well, do you want to leave too? And Peter made that statement, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I mean, how, how Peter is going to make mistakes, he's even going to deny, and all that kind of thing. But he is, he's on the road. He's making a start here. And that's all the Lord wants. He'll, he'll take us by the hand and take us down. He'll keep showing us where we need to change. And that it doesn't happen overnight, but at least you make that statement, you are the one. And there is no one else. So after all of this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. Now, was it because he was nervous and afraid? <clears throat> of course not. <clears throat> of course it wasn't because he was nervous and afraid. It's timing. He is listening to his father, and they've got it down to the second and again, you're going to watch how, how, you know, they can want to get him to, today. They're going to even seize him and all that. But they can't. Not until it's time. Not until he turns himself over. That's the beauty of this. Oh, they think they got to get him. But, you know, remember, we have a Savior that handed himself over. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near... Then, then people were, were, you know, going on toward, toward Jerusalem to celebrate this Jewish feast of the tabernacles. Now, I don't know about you, but for many times as I went through John, I would just, I would just pass on by that, thinking, well, that's just one of the, you know, Jewish holidays. doesn't pertain to me. But I have to say, I'm so glad I went and looked this up because it does. Those Jewish holidays do pertain. And, and what Jesus did, well, you're going to see in the chapter. Just let me explain to you what the Feast of Tabernacles, why they celebrated this. It was a time in October, usually. It was a time where the Israelites would spend eight days. They would take a, a, a week 
eight days, and they would live in temporary housing. They would go and live in, in tents, and what that would do was that would remind them of what the Israelites did when they left Egypt and went, and went to the promised land. But all that time, they lived in temporary dwellings. You think about what a, what a time that would be for you when the, when, the, when the kids would say, what in the world? Why do we have to live in tents for a week? You know, what an opportunity, isn't it? What an opportunity to be able to say, well, let me tell you what happened, you know? And every year you go over that with your family and you remind your family. You know, again, the Lord has given us these moments to be able to reminisce and, and wonder if he hadn't. And this is one of those times that during the Feast of Tabernacles, they are reminded of the deliverance and, and yet, even the, and the protection and, and taking care of, he, they, they just, this is what God did for our people. And of course, we know that it was all to bring a Savior through. But then also, every day for the first seven days, the, the, for seven days, they would, they would purposely go. This would be a part of the ritual of the day. They would all go to a pool of Siloam, and they would get water from this particular pool, and they would have a gold container, and then they would take this water and bring it to the altar and pour it over the altar because that, too, reminded them that the Lord provided water even in the desert. Now, you'll see on the eighth day, the eighth day of the celebration was the day that they did not have to bring the water to the altar because that signified they arrived at the promised land, the land flowing of milk and honey. They got there. So it was a, the greatest day, and you're going to see that. But before, I would just read it, and, and it would, when it talked about the last and the greatest day, of the Feast of Tabernacles. And then when Jesus said what he did, oh, it all makes sense. It's so good. So anyway, but when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Now, I know I put a little of my own fluctuations in there because I know, because John put this, because it would have been so easy to look at that and say, well, well, that was good of his brothers. That's a good idea. Why would you stay in Galilee when all the people are going to Jerusalem? And, and why not be where there's a bigger platform? You know, that sounded reasonable, didn't it? But John made sure we realized that was not the motive. They thought their brother was a joke. And they knew that, you know, oh, if you want to show yourself and your tricks, you know, why don't you go over there? I mean, believe me, it was not said in a good way. Now, if you stop and you think, it said, John says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. But yet, his brother James, who was a part of this nonsense, he was a part of this Someday, and, and this is why I'm so excited when, when we get to glory, and I don't mean to be silly because we are going to have this opportunity to be able to talk with different people. I mean, did you ever make your list? Did you ever think of who you want to talk to? I mean, we won't. I mean, it's going to be forever, so there'll always be plenty, you know, but I think I, I think, oh, I can't wait to talk to Rahab. I can't wait to talk to that woman. What a story. And the Bible talks about the, 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 um, the table of testimonies. Even though we know that we've all come there because of Jesus, we all have the same story as far as that goes. But yet, the, the details leading to and all that, it, it's extraordinary. But James is one. He's on my list because he was so brutal in John 7. And yet, when Jesus ascended and he told that group of 100, 120 to go to Jerusalem and wait, James was part of that group. In fact, James ended up being the head of the Jerusalem church. 
And James wrote five chapters in God's word that are absolutely no nonsense. Who knows the enormity of, of the power of the tongue and make sure people realize that, yes, you could talk faith all you want, but unless you live it and act it out, it's nothing. Because he knew. He understood that. He was raised in a religious home, so he did all the right things. But once he realized his brother was the Savior, his life changed. And what a story. So never feel that things are hopeless because I would have read John 7 and I would have thought, you know what, I, don't know, I wouldn't have given a nickel for the chances of his brothers. And yet, look what happened. We just have to keep letting the Lord do his job in their lives. Okay, therefore, Jesus told them. You know, I appreciate that about Jesus. You know, he just didn't, you know, take all that sarcasm and then just wallow in self-pity. Like, oh, you know, they're so mean to me. Because I'm sure they were. Instead, he looked right at him. He looked right at him and said, the right time for me has not yet come. In fact, he probably, you know, he probably said, I know that you said that jokingly, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going there because it's not the right time right now. You see, I'm listening to my father, and I don't do, I don't make a move until he tells me to do it because he's leading and guiding me. And again, I couldn't help but think of that familiar passage of Romans 3. If you trust the Lord with all your heart, you don't lead to your own common reasoning, but in all your ways, you keep going to him. And what does he promise? He'll show you. He'll show you when, he'll show you what, and he'll show you when. That's what the promise is. And then he says, for you, any time, any time is right. Boy, that was, a, that, was, that was a punch. Way to go, Jesus. He's saying, yeah, for you, you're not listening to anybody. It's all about you. You can do what you want, when you want, how you want. So he just kind of tossed it right back. I'm listening to the one who's directing me. But you, it's all about you, so you don't have to, your time is any, any time. He said, the world cannot hate you. Boy, he, again, wham, the world cannot hate you. Why? Because you're one of them. You're doing everything. You're doing everything they want you to do. You just look like them. You act like them. So naturally, you're going to do what they do. So they're not going to hate you. But the world's going to hate me. Because I testify that what it does is evil. I dare say it. I dare say that the Bible says, you know, I mean, of course, Jesus didn't say, but he knows the truth. And when you, when you know the truth, you dare make a stand for it. You're not embarrassed. You don't care what people think. It's wrong. And that's why Jesus said, yeah, that's not going to be popular. Sometimes standing for what's right is not popular. And boy, do I know that one. And you can, you can get a cut under the chin. You feel like you've just been boxed to a pulp. But sometimes you just have to stand for what's right. And it isn't going to be popular. They're going to hate you for it. But who are you living for anyway? That's the bottom line. You go to the feast, he said. You go ahead. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going because for me the right time has not yet come. So having said this, he stayed in Galilee. He stayed in Galilee, and we don't know if it's 10 minutes, maybe a half hour. You know, because God's timing. It might, be, might not be this minute, but it might be the next. God's timing is that specific. Now, I don't know. I don't know what timing this is, but in case you, had, you read the, the next words, and however, after his brothers left, he went, saying, well, what did you do, lie to him? No, maybe, well, he didn't go with them, and he didn't go at that exact minute, but he wanted to go when his father said, and his father said no to going with them. But, you know, he went, he didn't go publicly. He went in secret. You know, Jesus wasn't fanfare. Here I am, everybody. 
Now, the only time he had a fanfare beginning was on his triumphant entry. But I guarantee you, he wasn't smiling on that one. So no grand entrance. He wasn't that way. Now, at the feast, the Jews were watching for him. Well, you know, remember, Jesus does what he's had to do to get their attention, and he is getting their attention. You know, they're hearing the story about him walking on water. They, they've heard the story, if they weren't there, about feeding 5,000 plus with five little loaves and two sardines. You know, they've heard these stories, and they are curious. So, some are saying, they're widespread whispering. Did you know widespread whispering? He's a good man. He's a good man. It's a start. But then others replied, no, he deceives the people. There's always going to be yes or no. There's always going to be people that are going to say yes, and there's always going to be people that say no. But in both instances here, no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of those Jewish leaders Scared to death of them. And so nobody wants to say, you know what? I'm going to find out more about this man. He has gotten my curiosity up. Um, you know, I am remembering past scripture that says this and such. No one dares. They're whispering. Okay, not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? See, the Jews, they know who they're sending to Pharisee University. You know, they know, they know who, who's studying to be rabbis. It was an important appointment. When, when a young person was appointed to go to Pharisee school or to become a rabbi, and so they knew, and they've watched Jesus. No, he wasn't in Pharisee University. He wasn't in rabbi school. He was, he was um, a carpenter. You know, so they know all this, so they're, and yet they hear him, and they think, man, how can he talk like this? He hasn't ever studied. He's never studied in these schools. Jesus knew. Jesus heard that. He says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He started that verse with a big if. If anyone chooses to do God's will. And what is God's will? We have learned that God's will is that we know his son. Remember last week when they asked him, what, what must we do for the approval of God? He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And we said, why didn't he go on for two pages of instructions? No, once you know Jesus and you are filled with his spirit, the rest will come day by day. He just wants to make sure God's will, you know his son. The Father's will is that we know his son. And he said, if anyone chooses to do God's will, if anyone chooses to know me, they will know that I know what I'm talking about. And I'm speaking from the one who sent me. And I'm not here to puff myself up and to prove to you that I'm somebody. Why didn't he have to prove that? Because he knew. He knew who he was. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he'll find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. I'm just going to tell you about one instance that I was in. One time I had the opportunity to be in a group of very learned, intellectual, religious people. Now, I don't, I don't really classify myself as totally biblically illiterate. I feel like kind, I mean, I got a long way to go, but I do know my Bible. And I'm here to tell you, I sat in that room and I tried so hard to understand what they were talking about. Because I don't think I really am that stupid. But I did not 
get what they were talking about. But I did keep my ears open, and now once did I hear the name Jesus, and now once did I hear him say the Bible says. But every time the next one spoke, they tried to show the, the, the class how smart they were and that they were smarter than the previous comment. It was just pitiful. And it was a room full of religious scholars. And I didn't understand a word. Now, what do you think of that? And I think that Jesus, when he cornered them, he was trying to say to these Pharisees, you got people all worked up and, oh, they think you're so smart, but, you know, you're, you're not as smart as you think you are. Because you, if, I see your motive, and if you were really honest, your whole motive is to show, show off. It's all about you. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Now, I don't care how schooled you are. And I think school is wonderful. And my husband and I paid a lot of money for our kids to go to school. And so it is important. I'm not saying that one bit. But the key line for me is, I don't care how much school you have or how much school you don't have. He's saying this, Jesus is saying this, what he wants is when he looks into your heart and into mine, he wants to see nothing false. He doesn't want to see that game plan. He doesn't want us to, he doesn't want to see where, boy, I got them fooled. I can, I can punch in on this day and that day and I can say this and do that. And then, boy, I'm out of here and I can do what I want. He, he doesn't want, remember when he said to Nathaniel, of all of Israel, there's nothing false about this guy. And I think that was a compliment. Because, because he knew that Nathaniel, his yes was yes, his no was no, and he wasn't about to say one thing to your face and stab you in the back when you walk away. Jesus wants us genuine. I love that word, don't you? Genuine. He wants us real. And his goal, because he knows that there is everything false about these guys. They are so false. I know they've got everybody, they've got everybody thinking that they're so smart and everything. Scared. These Pharisees, they have, they have these people right where they want them. So then he says this to them. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Oh, was that a punch? Because what do they think? Oh, they're, they're thinking they're, oh, they're obeying every one of those laws. Again, they've got all the people fooled. They're awed by the fact that, oh, these religious leaders, man, I just wish I could be like them. And Jesus is saying, I can see it. Oh, you walk around acting like you obey all the laws. Guess what? You don't. I know. And yet, you're trying to kill me? You won't listen to the fact that I am, because I told you six times last week, that I am from heaven. And I and the Father are one. And he, he, is, he made it so clear, but again, they didn't want to hear, so they didn't. And so even though he repeated over and over about Moses um, and the Israelites in the desert and they had manna and yet God supplied this food and yet they died. But I want you to know, I'm the bread of life. You eat of me, you will never die. See, but they don't want to hear that. I don't think he could have explained it any better. And so he cornered him. He cornered him and said, gotcha. You think you're obeying every one of these laws? You're not. And yet you're trying to kill the one who, who has come to buy you sinners back. And then, oh, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? Well, of course, they're not going to admit it. Jesus said to them, he comes right back. You know, he's so not intimidated by them. I couldn't help it. I, I don't know, and I don't always want to put myself in here, but I can't. I used to be so intimidated by people. 
and especially with people that are smarter than me and, you know, and I got to tell you, when it comes to Jesus, I don't put my head down to anybody anymore. I don't care. I don't care how many letters you've got behind your name. I mean, yes, I'm impressed all the time you spent, but you know what? When it comes to knowing Jesus, I put my head down to no one. I am his child. I wear his name. And I hope that you have that kind of boldness too. Don't let anybody push you over. You're, you're not intimidated. You know the points. You know that God so loved you and you decided to be the whoever that believed in him. And you're not going to perish. You have everlasting life. You don't put your head down to anybody. And it's not because you think you're so great. It's because you, it's just like Jesus, he knew he was. And you and I should know who we are. And we don't have to put our head down to anybody. Jesus looked at them and said, when they said, oh, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? He's trying to say, ah, remember, let's just recall. I did one miracle. I did one miracle. And you are all astonished yet because Moses gave you circumcision. See, now he's going to talk in a language that they get. They know, except John put that. Well, John, make sure we, that we hear that Jesus, in parentheses, said, you're giving Moses all the credit, except Moses, guess what? He didn't even start circumcision. Abraham did. So really, you're not so smart. And then you, you circumcise on the Sabbath. Oh, that is one of those rituals, and you do that on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses can't be broken... Why are you so angry with me for healing the whole man, which means body and soul, on the Sabbath? If you really cared, because, you know, I kept going back. When that invalid of, six, of 38 years, when Jesus said, you know, get up and walk and take your mat, and so he's walking with his mat, and those those Pharisees come up and not even cheer for the fact that the two legs are working. Why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? I mean, that is ridiculous. It is just absolutely ridiculous. It just shows their heart. All they cared about, and that's what Jesus is trying to say, all you care about is the rules, 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 rules. Well, when it comes to someone's soul, when it comes to someone's heart, what difference does it make what day it is? You have a responsibility to care for that person. What difference does it make what day it is? And then he says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. See, in this whole conversation, he is still, you know, when they're so caught up with, oh, you know, how, how can he be talking like that? He didn't, he didn't study, he didn't study and go to all those right schools. And then this, Jesus is saying, would you stop it? Would you just stop looking at how much school I had and why don't you start listening to the content of what I'm saying? See, if you're so caught up in people's outward appearances, you don't even hear or see who they really are. You missed the whole point. Jesus is saying, because she's so worked about, you're so worked up about the fact that I was a carpenter and didn't go to such and such a school, you're not even listening. You don't even care. But I'm thinking he's talking to human nature here. He's talking to mostly all of us. We've all made judgment calls. And last night I was telling the people, I said, I've had two times where people have called me floozy, two times. And on the way home, Tom said, um, it's, been, it's been three. And he reminded me of another one. <laughs> three times somebody called me floozy. Now I'm sure it's got to do with my hair. I'm sure it does. But, but more importantly, they were so caught up. They were so caught up in, in the exterior or whatever their, their judgment call was that they didn't even hear the content. The, the extraordinary thing about it, Tom, Tom and I talked about all the way home about these three people. 
every instance when they finally heard me or when they finally got to know me. I'm, I mean, Faluzi was not a part of the conversation anymore. You know, I, and we've all made those mistakes. You know, that older gentleman at Evergreen Daycare, when I gave a concert there for, for them afterwards, he said, I might as well admit it to you, I couldn't stand your guts before today. And I said, you couldn't stand my guts. I said, you and I never met. So how could you not stand me? And of course, you know, he said, well, I see that picture of you in the paper every now and then, and I just hate it. So then I hated you. And then, and then he says, but I hope your husband doesn't mind because I've fallen in love with you. I mean, <laughs> and I only say that to you because I think Jesus is saying to all of us, be careful. Be so careful because, in fact, he says, stop it. Just stop judging. Why don't you listen to their heart? I mean, I look at Jason's kids with the Golgotha kids. I mean, if I, if I hadn't gone in there, if Jason hadn't given me that look, I would have missed that these kids, all of their outward exterior was a cry for help. And then I would have missed all that because, oh, they're not my kind. And in today's world with our culture, well, I sure can love them because I don't believe in their lifestyle and blah, blah, blah. Jesus said, would you just stop it? Would you just get to know people? Would you just stop condemning them? Because guess what? I didn't even come to condemn. I came to love them, love them into the kingdom. And yet, you know, we, we are so good at that. Yuck. Okay, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. In other words, he's the one they're trying to kill. He's right there in the open. Why don't they get him? And then they say, have the authorities... You know, have they softened? Maybe they've concluded that he is the Christ. But then, but then they come back and say, but we know. Oh, yeah, you think you're so smart. But we know where this man is from. See, but they're so tunneled thinking, that's Mary and Joseph's kid. We watched him grow. So we know. But they're so wrong because they didn't want to know more. Only what their physical eyes saw, the judgment call. Because when the Christ comes, because when the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Now I'm telling you, that is about the most wrong thing that they could say. And Jesus is going to come back and, with a, with, and he's going to cry out to him. Jesus is going to come back and cry out because Jesus doesn't always talk loud just a couple times. And when you hear him cry out because he knows what they're thinking, when the Christ comes, you know, no one's going to know where he comes from. And Jesus cries out, yes, you do know me. And you do know where I come from. So what does he mean? I, I went and I just found a couple. I just found a few. He's saying, you are so smug in your knowledge of the Old Testament. Then what are you talking about? Listen to this. Oh, you just love your Isaiah. Well, Isaiah wrote this. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Well, if you know Mary and Joseph so well, why didn't you ask them? Why didn't you go up to Mary and say, hey, can you tell us how this all came about? Can you imagine the story Mary would tell them? Oh, one day when I was young, the angel of the Lord came and appeared to me and said that I was going to be the mother of the Messiah. And he said, the Holy Spirit would come upon me. If they would have just asked Mary, what a story she would have been able to tell them. But no, they don't care, no. And they think they're so smart. Because Isaiah said exactly what was going to happen. And then Isaiah said again in Isaiah 11, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, 
from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And if, if you really think about it, Israel, you know the story of your David. Well, Samuel said to David, one day the Lord will raise up your offspring and I will establish his kingdom forever. Samuel told David that the Lord said that he would raise up his offspring and his kingdom would reign forever. And then Jeremiah, oh, you, you, all you Israelites, you love your Jeremiah. Well, he said the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up from David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do just and right in the land. And to me, this one, Micah 5.2, and he will be born from the tribe of Judah in the town of Bethlehem. How many more details do you need, folks? And that's why Jesus cried out, you do too know me. And you know exactly. I told you. But I am not here on my own, but he who sent me. You do not know him. And why don't they know him? Because they don't want to. They don't want to associate that these words that they're so piously quoting could possibly have real meaning, and he's standing right in front of them. And if they had asked a few more questions, they would have found the details were identical. You do not know him, but I know him because I'm, I am from him. And he sent me. Does he care what they think? Nope. I'm just telling you the truth, Jesus says. Now, they could have. Now, here's your two choices again. They could have said, wow, I guess I didn't get that. Can you go over that? Or, and this is what they chose to do, at this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. And again, I repeat, no one could lay a hand on him until he handed himself over. Still, many in the crowd put their faith in him. Man, I underlined that. I put all yellow through that because I think that always shows hope. Even in the midst of all this negativity, in the midst of all this critical spirit, there are still those who are responding by faith. Choosing to say, I believe who he is. I believe he is who he says he is. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? See, they don't know everything. They still have questions. But they, they, in their question, they're saying, who could possibly come that does more than this? I found something this week that I'm going to read to you because I think this is exactly what this means. Have you come to this conclusion? Does anybody do more miracles than Jesus? No. Does anyone teach with more insight and authority than Jesus? No. Does anyone love more remarkably than Jesus? Not a chance. Does anybody suffer with more courage than Jesus? No. Does anyone atone for more sinners than Jesus? Does anyone raise from the dead any, does anyone else raise from the dead with more triumph than Jesus? Does anyone ascend to heaven in greater glory than Jesus? Does anyone present a greater gospel than Jesus? Does anyone change more lives than Jesus? Does anyone free more addictions than Jesus? Does anyone comfort more grief-stricken hearts than Jesus? Does anyone heal more broken hearts than Jesus? Does anyone restore more marriages than Jesus? Does anyone triumph over more tyrants than Jesus? Does anyone gain more followers than Jesus? There is no one. 
And that's why Peter said last week, Lord, to whom shall we go? There's no one else that can do for us. It's these people that are saying, well, do you know, well can anyone else do more than this? No. Now, see, people are starting to believe. Now look at verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Oh, now they're bringing in the muscle men. They're calling out the temple guards. Now, I don't know for a fact, but I would dare say that these temple guards who guard the temple to keep riffraff out, to keep those who don't belong in out. I don't think that these guys are wimpy. I think these guys, these temple guards... And so when the Pharisees, kind of like on last resort, let's send for the temple guards to get him. Jesus comes back with this. I am with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. Now, I think he says this calmly. I mean, they're calling the temple guard to arrest him, but I think Jesus, he just says, you know, I'm going to be here for just such a short time. And then I'm going back to the one I told you that I came from. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now, we know what he means. And there, of course, going into there are, you know, questions. But instead of asking him... Because you know, you and I know that what he's saying is that you know the day's going to come and it's going to be too late and you're going to try to find me and you can't come where I am because I told you before that if you're the whoever that believes, you'll have eternal life with me. But if you're the whoever that doesn't, you will not go where I'm going. So that was Jesus in a calm voice stating the fact. Now, Again, that should have gotten their attention because they've got a bazillion questions. But did you notice they don't go to the one who's got the answers? Look at the very next line. The Jews said to one another. Are we guilty of that sometime? When our life falls apart, when our surprises just came from around a corner that you weren't expecting? Often, don't the first thing we do is we go running to people. Why is this happening? How can we fix this? And I think Jesus is saying, Come on, people, why don't you come to me? I'm the one that's got the answers, I'm the one whose timing is perfect, I'm the one that loves you more than words can say, I'm the one that's got the perfect plan going. I know what I got to do to get you to here from here to there. Why don't you come to me? Come to me, all you who are weary. I'm the one that can give you rest, not panic, not fear, not worry. Come to me. Those other people can't do it. Come to me. I'm the one that can give you rest. So, you know, they're trying to find that. Oh, maybe he's going to go to where there's Jews in Greek territory. Maybe he's even going to go preach to the Greeks. If they only asked him. Okay, now verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast. See, this is that eighth day when they don't have to bring water because it's a sign of God's deliverance. Got him from Egypt to the promised land. Look at Jesus stood and in a loud voice. If anyone, so who is it for? Everybody. If anyone is thirsty, and you know, that's a subject everybody can understand, isn't it? Because everybody knows what thirst is, and everybody knows that when you're thirsty, you need water, you need a drink. So again, it's simple enough for everybody to understand, and yet the depth of it is enormous here. And the timing of Jesus saying it on the last and the greatest day of the Feast of the Tabernacles. 
And I dare say with this loud voice, he's got his arms out. If anyone of you is thirsty, here's that word, come, come to me and drink. Look at the first word of verse 38. There's the whoever. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And John inserts this because by this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. You know, we know that Pentecost hadn't happened yet, but we know for us on this side of Pentecost, the second that we are born again, the second that we come to the cross and accept his grace through his blood, we are given his Holy Spirit that will continue to just bubble up. I know I told you this before when people ask me, what school did you go to know this? I said, I went to Holy Spirit University, and it is one great school. And I know that I'll never graduate from it until I'm actually there with him. And I say that to my boys all the time. I know you're so much smarter than me, but I pray you never graduate from a Holy Spirit University. That is one university that you constantly need to be learning from. Because Jesus is saying here, the Holy Spirit, it's that living water that just keeps, keeps quenching your thirst. Because Jesus is enough. I'm hearing these words. Some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. All of a sudden you're seeing words like, surely. Others saying, he is the Christ. Hallelujah. But then, like always, there's the other side. Still others ask, how can this Christ, how can the Christ come from Galilee? He can't possibly come from Galilee. And the thing is, if they would check, they would find that he didn't. Now, we know that Jesus lived in Galilee, but he was born from the tribe of Judah in the town of Bethlehem. But look, if you're not going to ask, if you don't care, they say in verse 42, does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? <laughs> yes, you're right. And if you would have asked, you would have found it. You know, when you read this, you think, where's their head? Because that's all they're thinking is with their head, not their heart. Because if their heart were kicked into gear, they would find these answers. But they don't want to know. And I can't say that enough. I know I've repeated that over and over this morning. If you don't want to seek, you won't find. If you don't consistently knock at the door of truth, you won't know it. You won't know all what he's got for you and all that he can be for you if you don't really want to know. Because you're a little afraid that it might cause you to change. It might cause you to not be happy and comfortable. Because isn't that God's job to make me happy and comfortable? No, it might make you see that God's whole perspective is to not make you happy and comfortable for a reason. Because he wants to get your attention. Because you are off the path. And he loves you too much. So because of the some yes, some no, of course, they're going to be divided. Some wanted to seize him, but no one lay hand on. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests. Didn't you just, didn't you just love this? They have to go back to the chief priests and the Pharisees and say, what? I don't have them. Come on, you're the muscle guys. They said, why don't you have them? Why didn't you bring them in? And their answer, because you think temple guards, you think how many sermons have they heard? 
How many rabbis have they heard, have they heard ta- teach there? You know that these temple guards have heard it all. They have heard everything possible when it comes to religion. And yet, they come back in their answer to, why didn't you have them? Why didn't you, why didn't you grab them? No one ever spoke that way. No one ever spoke the way this man spoke. That's all they said. We couldn't because no one was like him. And we've heard it all. But no one, no one talks like he talks. No one says what he says. And instead of, again, here was their chance. Instead of saying, well, what did he say? What do you, you know, you heard him. Tell me, tell me what did he say? If they were curious, if they would have asked questions, they would have found out. But no, their other choice is mock the temple guards. Because it's so much easier to put someone else down so you don't look bad. It's far easier to, to say negative things about that person so that you don't look bad at all. Oh, you mean he's deceived you too? As, and then they make this comment, because they're not as smart as they think. As any of the rulers or any of the Pharisees believed in him? No. Like, of course not. The thing is, we're going to see in the next paragraph, oh, yes, there is. You know, what, what these Pharisees, these religious people are doing is they're putting all the believers down. And you know what they, la- they label us? But this mob, we're labeled a mob. This mob that knows nothing of the law. We don't know what counts. We're quite, we're quite stupid when it comes to the area of the law. This mob, they believe in him. They are, they're not smart like us. And then they say, they don't, even, they don't even know that the curse is on them. And I'm thinking, smarty pants, the curse isn't on them. It's on you. Okay, here comes Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier. And we know he came to Jesus at night, John chapter 3. Jesus said, everyone must be born of water and the spirit. You must be born again. I'm sure Nicodemus, I mean, that's hard teaching. I'm sure he's been trying to process this in his mind. No, Nicodemus doesn't know everything yet. I think later, I think Nicodemus, when he joins up with Joseph of Arimathea, they don't care what people think. They go to get that body because they believe Jesus was and is the Christ. But right now, he's on that. He's, he's still trying to think it through, but he knows enough to say, come on, guys. Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? You're judging so hastily right now. You Come on, we don't operate like that. So he's trying to come to Jesus' defense here. And then instead, again, they, they had a chance to say, well, Nicodemus, what do you know that we don't? But no, their choice is to say, are you from Galilee too? In other words, Nicodemus, are you really from Galilee? Are you really below us? Look into it. Look into it, Nicodemus, and you're going to find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Now, the thing is, this capital P prophet didn't. He did not come out of Galilee. But to make a comment that to say, Find that, that any prophet, no prophet comes out of Galilee. I did some searching, and you know what I found? Jonah came from a town near Galilee. I was impressed with that, but I was impressed with this even more. Elijah came from a town in Galilee. 
These smarty pants did not know what they were talking about. And Jesus is trying to get them to say, to see that. But I think he's trying to say that to you and me too. The church on every corner. You, most of you have been in church since you were little. This is so just make sure you take a look at your heart and see that there's nothing false and know that you're not as smart as you think you are. This book has got to be taught and studied day in and day out. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this truth. We love the words when Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Lord, he wants us to live with confidence, and we can live with confidence when we stand on truth. So, Lord, again, as we come to our families on Thursday or whatever day, Lord, this is the time of year where we give thanks. And, yes, you have given us much and may we be reminded that too much is given, much also is required. But Lord, may we know that our ultimate blessing came from you. That our blessings that really count for all eternity are words like forgiveness and salvation. Father, you have bought us back. The price was huge. Grace is amazing but we take it undeserved as we are. And Lord, we say, do what you have to do with us because we want to become like Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. Happy Thanksgiving.